And time now for a weekly COVID update with vaccine researcher, family physician, Dr. Iris Gorfinkel is on the line and joins us once again here on Global News Radio. Dr. Gorfinkel, very good afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Jeff. Okay, uh, let's start with this new mutation of the Delta variant. Really kind of the last thing any of us want to hear about, but it's under, under close watch, we understand. What do we know about it, doctor? It's called Delta Plus, but that's not its official name because in order to be given a Delta kind of name, it has to at least make the racket of variant of interest or variant of concern. It's not either of those just yet. But what's concerning is that you turn the clock back three months ago, and it was 0% of the cases in Britain. And now, in the space of three months, it's 6% of cases in Britain. So are they watching it? Yes, they are, very closely. Is it more transmissible? We don't know. Is it deadlier? We don't know. Can it escape our vaccines? We don't know. But we know that this is making an inroad. And we think it enters cells more easily because of two mutations on its spike protein. So could this be the next Delta? It's possible. It's not likely, but it's possible. Variants of concern are always hot. Well, not variants of concern, but variants. New variants are constantly being made. Every single case represents an opportunity for that virus to mutate into yet another variant. But most of them don't make the grade of interest let alone make the greater variant of concern. All right. Do we know, uh, you mentioned vaccines a second ago, and I guess it's to be determined, but do we know just how effective the current vaccines that have been approved are against this uh, newer latest variant? No idea just yet. There aren't enough cases. It's not quite a strong enough signal. You know, um, we'll have to see if that variant holds on. It's interesting because what happened in Denmark is that it, it, it at one point made up 2% of Denmark's cases. And now what's happening is this is just kind of dying off. Now, why is that? We don't know. But it is important to keep an eye on it. We need to see higher numbers in order to make any statement about how effective our vaccines will be, you know, how transmissible it is, and if it's actually more deadly or not than Delta or the previous strains. What we seem to know is that it does enter cells a little more rapidly. All right. You mentioned Britain. I was reading just before we came to air this afternoon. It's also been identified in the U.S. Do we know if it's here, Delta Plus, in Canada? And if it's not, Dr. Gorfinkel, do you think it's maybe just a matter of time? I don't know if it's here yet. And we're not actually looking for it as actively as we could. You know, there are countries that are really proactively watching all new variants. And unfortunately, Canada's really not one of the ones that is keeping its fingers strong on that pulse. What we do is we watch variants that we know are already there. That's what we're keeping track of the most closely. You know, so what'll happen is that if we're seeing a strong signal in other countries, it will become one of the variants we're watching more closely. But for now, we're actually not watching that very closely. All right. The restaurant industry, hospitality industry has been watching capacity limits very closely. We've talked about this for the last uh, week or so that uh, they're sitting there watching places like Scotiabank Arena welcome upwards of 20,000 in there for sporting events. Meanwhile, capacity limits uh, still remain in place for indoor dining restaurants and gyms. Do you think uh, the time has come to maybe lift those capacity limits for Ontario small business? What we have to do is lift capacity limitations slowly and basically wait to see what happens. 
so many other countries, what never mind countries within this own country, within Canada, we've seen Alberta get slammed. We've seen Saskatchewan get slammed. And the problem is we, the tendency is to want to drop the guard too quickly. Big mistake. And that's been proven time and time again. We have to do it, but very, very slowly so that we can see its effect. And by slowly, I mean two-week aliquots. It really does take time. Who doesn't want to go back to normalcy? But the problem is when you fling the doors open wide, disease comes and lots of it. And, you know, so even though our numbers are so great right now, this doesn't mean it's time to put down the mitigation. If anything, it's time to roll up your sleeve and get your flu shot because this year is not last year. Okay, can I ask you, and we're going to talk about flu shots in depth here in just a second, but for restaurant owners who are listening in right now, actually, we're just talking to the head of Restaurants Canada in our last half hour. Again, they're wondering about just opening the doors wide to a place like Scotiabank Arena for Leafs and Raptors games starting tonight. And why does that medically make sense? Why is that safe for eighteen or 20,000 people to be under that one roof? Yet in restaurants, medically speaking, again, it's not as safe, we think, to allow, I don't know, say two or 300 people into a restaurant for dining. Is it just because the square footage and uh, the roof is uh, lower and the air circulation maybe isn't as good or as vast as a place like Scotiabank Arena? You know, let's face it. We know that Delta is far more transmissible. We know that people are carrying 1,000 times the viral load in their nostrils and they're transmissible two days sooner. You know, so these come down to public health policies. Do I agree with 18,000 people congregating? I would have said at least let them not eat, you know, but the problem is that's, you know, they're selling concessions there. They're going to be drinking. They're going to be eating. And I think those are relatively high risk activities. But to be fair, people have to be vaccinated. They are taking great precautions. You know, so what's happening with restaurants? That's a whole other thing because restaurants have a much lower ceiling. And so, you know, unless what are we going to do? Keep the windows open, keep the doors open. We need, you know, HEPA filtration systems. We know they do work to keep the viral load down, but it's hard to do that in every single restaurant. And it also depends on what the numbers are like at that very time. So I would say open up, but open up slowly engage what you're doing so you can see its effects. Okay, I also wanted to ask you this week about the news from Pfizer. This made headlines yesterday. Pfizer has applied to Health Canada for approval of their kids' vaccine. What do we know about this, and are we expecting uh, approval from the data that uh, Pfizer has admitted here, and is this something uh, we might see for school-aged children inside maybe the next uh, month, month and a half? So this is super exciting news, because now that it's been submitted to Health Canada. Health Canada has to review all of Pfizer's data. So what did Pfizer do? They took 2,300 kids, thereabout, and basically gave them one third of the adult dose. And what were their findings? This is the data Health Canada's looking at. They had the same response as older children did to the vaccine. The, specifically, not even children, 16 to 25-year-olds. They had a similar antibody response. So that looks really promising. The side effects were also similar. So that looks promising. But the big question everybody has is, what about the myocarditis signal? Now, the, with 2,300 people, it's just too few to see that kind of a signal. 
because we didn't see a lot of it altogether. It was a very rare side effect. But in terms of the harms of COVID-19, this is what we're actually weighing it against. It's not a question of do vaccines cause harm? Can it cause myocarditis? It's a question of what is the harm if we do not approve the vaccine? And we know that COVID-19 has very significant harms in young people. It is not a benign disease. It has the potential to be a multi-system disease and even in kids. And on top of it, a lot of kids get long COVID. Now, what's that number? Look at Israeli data. It may be as high as one in seven. We thought one in 10 adults had long COVID. Well, if that number is higher in kids, we have a serious problem because these children are gonna go on to cause a lot of strife, not just with their families, not just with their schooling, but also when it comes to overloading, already overloaded medical services. We're talking psychiatry, we're talking rheumatology, we're talking hematology, respirology, cardiology. You know, one person can really take a lot of resources and still we don't have any cures for it. So okay. we have to take it very seriously. So with that in mind, getting kids vaccinated is seen as a key to getting us a back to normal or a new normal. And what would your advice be, Dr. Gorfinkel, to those that are vaccine hesitant, maybe themselves or maybe their uh, parents and they're a little hesitant about giving their kids this uh, vaccine? What would you say to them? Look at the data. Try to understand the information. Reach out with your questions. Don't be shy about it. You know, I want to hear about vaccine hesitancy because I think when you, when you undress us all, we're all vaccine hesitant. I don't like the divisive nature of what I'm seeing. I'm deeply concerned by it. We all have vaccine hesitancy and we're asking the same questions and we're all holding hands on the same issue. How can we best keep case numbers down? How can we best keep hospitalizations and needless deaths from happening? And so this is where the conversation starts with commonality. And the question is, how can we best get to that goal? And the answer is through individual conversation, through a lot of understanding and trying our best to stand in that person's shoes to understand what they're experiencing, because that's where healing begins. All right, doctor, stand by. We've got to get a quick break, but we're back with more with vaccine researcher and family physician, Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, after this here on Global News Radio. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink. 